Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. We're in the RSO offices today uh, talking about the April 17th concert season finale uh, of the Richardson Symphony. We have with us Maestro Couturio and executive director Laurie Garvey. Um, Maestro, can you tell us a little bit about the program on the 17th? There are three works. Uh, what are the connections between the works? Yeah, uh, Ross, there are three works. Uh, we open the program with Mozart's Symphony Number no. 31 in uh, D major. It's nicknamed the Paris Symphony. And uh, the second work on the program is a piano concerto. It's uh, the second piano concerto by Camille Saint-Saëns, French composer. And the last work is by uh, the Russian composer Tchaikovsky, and it is his suite number four, which is nicknamed Mozartiana. And I'll get to that in just a little bit, a okay. minute, but there's, there's connections to all three of these works. Interesting connections, not direct. Like I said, the Mozart is nicknamed Paris, uh, and that's because he was uh, actually on tour at the time with his mother, who was ill, uh, for a different work, actually. It was the uh, Symphonia Concertante, which is for uh, violin and viola and accompanied by orchestra. And uh, actually, that's a work I'd like to do sometime with the orchestra here with our principal, uh, our concertmaster and our principal violist someday. But uh, that aside, he was on tour and it wasn't going well. It's, a, it's a really a masterpiece, and he wasn't pleased with how it was sounding. And um, the producer of these concert series was tr going to try to make it up to him. Um, and so he asked Mozart if he could write another work on, on the spot to see uh, if that would go better. While on the, tour. While on tour. Uh, not a lot of time to write a piece. But that's, how Mozart, that's how Mozart composed. He would often compose rapidly. Uh, uh, sometimes so fast that he would ask for someone to take dictation on it because he couldn't do it uh, fast enough himself. Right. And um, so he decided to do that. And uh, I, I believe it was for a different orchestra because, like I said, he wasn't pleased. And um, this was a real tour de force for the orchestra, very virtuosic and at, at that time, what he was going to write. And it's, it's really brilliant writing. D major the two charts lends itself to that, especially in the string instruments. And um, in his efforts to do so, he, he kind of tailored uh, specific things for French taste uh, within the music, uh, certain scale passages and um, um, just the uh, overall complexity. I won't go into too much detail of what that is, but but he was tailoring it for the audience, just to make sure that it would be more successful. Sure. Uh, it's just like, I guess, in these days, whatever's popular at the time, you, uh, people ride in that fashion, so it, it makes the radio or it, it becomes popular. And Mozart was, was composing and performing for the masses. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. He was the, one of the popular artists, if you will, of, of the time. Yes. Um, yes, he liked to uh, – he, he played – he was popular. He played hard, which was uh, good for 
his music purposes, but it was also not good in other ways right. for him personally. <laughs> uh, just the, his his personality. So um, this work is in three movements, which is a little unusual. It's a fast, slow, fast three movement work. Uh, I say unusual because usually symphonies by this time were in four movements. And what he left out is the third movement, which is the minuet dance movement. So um, it's just a fast, slow, fast. Um, One other thing that's interesting to me, at least, typically for a, uh, what we know as now a classical sized orchestra, the wind sections are two flutes, two oboes, two clarinets, two bassoons, that's your woodwinds, Mm -hmm. then two French horns, two trumpets, and timpani, and then you have your strings. Mm -hmm. That's what you usually see. But it wasn't always that way. The orchestra was always forming, and and one of the later wind instruments to come aboard were the clarinets. This symphony, number 31, is the first symphony that Mozart used clarinets for. Really? I, so that's a big deal. I know it sounds you go to concerts now and see clarinets, clarinets all the time. but it's 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 really a, a big deal. Um, and you also, I want people to think about the formation of these instruments themselves. They, it's not like someone said, "I'm going to make a clarinet," and this is what it was. <laughs> it it took a long time to process of what, of course, the evolution it, of, the, the clarinet, of the instrument of the itself. woodwinds. Even today, there are people that are trying to now. I say even today, it's minute. It's it's just how can I make this a little better here and there? And they right. try these different things and right. ligatures and all, all these things. But it took time for these instruments to develop. So, in fact, the clarinet that you would have heard during Mozart's time is going to sound different than what clarinet you would today. Um, anyways, it was the first in- time he used them in, in his symphonies. He used them a few other times, but not not all the time. So, was it the clarinet was a, a new concept or a new instrument if it hadn't been readily used before? It just came a little bit later than, let's say, the oboe or or uh, flute. Okay, um, sure. It had been around, but not in the way it was when Mozart decided to use it. Um, but three movements: uh, the first movement, fast, brilliant. Uh, there's a there's a section. Uh, in the second theme that Mozart wrote to his father and said, I know this part right here will be successful. I know the Parisians will like this part. And in fact, at the premiere, they clapped, applauded in that part during the uh, performance while they were playing. Not, but they, they applauded between movements, but they also applauded right when they heard that theme. So he was right. Really? He predicted right. Yeah. How, how did he, do, you, do we know how he knew how to appeal. That's just part of the genius of Mozart. You know, it's hard to say right. what, it, what it was sure. per se. Sure. Uh, the second movement is a slower movement, not real slow. And when I say slow, it doesn't always mean dreary because it, it is upbeat. I mean, as far as mood is concerned. He actually wrote two different uh, second movements. And we're performing the one that's performed more often. It's a little more popular. Mm-hmm. And um, very uh, intricate between uh, uh, all the different sections. Very beautiful. And the last movement is really what I consider the tour de force. It starts with uh, second violins and just a run of eighth notes. Fast. And the first violins 
come off on an offbeat. Offbeat, not on the beat, but off the beat. Right. So if I'm clapping on the beat, and it's hard to, to play together when it's off the beat that way. So it's not syncopated, but it is off off the beat. Yeah, well, syncopated does mean off the beat. So in fact, it is a syncopated type rhythm. Okay. Yeah. Good, good for you. <laughs> I'm impressed. Folks, I studied hard for that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, after a while, that syncopation and, and the eighth notes come to a big climax, and we—it's—it's it's, to me, it's like a curtain rising, and then here we go. Now we're together. We're going to take off, and it's uh, after that a whole bunch of ent- uh, uh, entrances in a fugato. A fugato is a fugue, and within a different form, within a different movement. Right. A fugue itself is. You have a theme, and then a counter theme, and then they start playing together, and and how it relates with with intervals. And just for technical terms, a fugato is also a fugue within a movement within within another within piece the within the form of something else. Sure. Yes, and uh, that of course comes into a a big close, and it's a great opener. It's it's a short shorter symphony, maybe seventeen minutes or so. Um, but it's a great over opener for a program. We look forward to doing that piece. Very good. And then next on the program is uh, Camille Sanson's second piano concerto. And Sanson was um, regarded during his time as a, a real pioneer uh, um, ahead of his time. But we look back on him now as more of a conservative writer. So I think I find that interesting, you know, how how thoughts on a person can change over right. over time. Um, Sanson, French composer, and of course people know the works of Debussy and uh, Ravel and Stravinsky and these people after him. Or actually, he was a little bit ahead of them. He knew all these people, and he lived during the, those time of those composers I just mentioned, and he scorned the work of uh, Debussy. And Stravinsky. Really? So at that time, thinking he was the progressive, he wasn't. These were the composers who were eventually the progressive. Uh, and so the, the greatness of it all is they've all become known as, as their own and all great composers. Within their own But rights. it's interesting to see how even composers amongst themselves don't agree on things. Sure. And uh, it's just because everybody's a little different. But his... Com- his um, Concerto, the G minor that uh, is going to be performed for this concert, was um, has a great backstory. Sanson, who did play piano, but also liked to conduct and was a composer, had a great Russian friend who was a pianist uh, at the time named Anton Rubinstein, one of the great pianists of all time. And Sanson would conduct Rubinstein uh, on concertos in Enjoyed it. They had a great collaboration. Well, Rubinstein said, that's nice. I can do what you do. Can you do what I do? And said, I want to conduct. You play piano. And so Sanson all of a sudden said, whoa, whoa, well, well let's, let me think about this. Hang on a minute. So he composed a piece. And, and Sanson was a very good pianist, but not the great virtuoso that Rubinstein was. Right. So he said, I'm going to compose a piece that is very virtuosic but fits my specific abilities. 
And so that's what he did. And he wrote this second piano concerto. And at the premiere, Saint-Saëns performed on the piano. And it allowed Rubenstein, Rubenstein an opportunity to conduct. Conduct the orchestra. Yeah. And uh, it's hard for me to explain, but I think there are certain, I think Saint-Saëns, in a way, put a, a few tricks for the conductor just to get back at, at Rubenstein. I, there's just a few spots I can think personally. It's a little tricky. And I thought, I just chuckled to myself thinking, ah, oh, I, uh, I think Saint-Saëns did that to get back at him just a little bit. But it was very successful at, at the time. It's also in three movements. But it's it's not your typical fast, slow, fast. The first movement is actually slow-ish. There are moments of big build and, and, and uh, uh, how do you say, um, just triumph. But it starts slow, mysterioso, and uh, I would call it a toccata-like movement. What I mean by that is uh, uh, sounds very improv, like you're improvising improvisational yeah improvisatory right however you want to say but it's so it wanders here and there and you you think you're just doing it on a whim but it's all written out um and it starts with just the piano wandering like i said and then it has a kind of build up and the orchestra comes in with and then it has a nice flow melodic line where people will remember that melody and then it has a turmoil section and, and it, it's all within that first movement the second movement is a scherzo movement. It's actually the faster movement. Scherzo meaning playful right. and light and fast. And um, it opens uh, beautiful with a little light melodic line and the timpani bouncing up and down. And then the uh, uh, piano takes off on its own. And then the last movement is more like a tarantella, which is uh, almost like an, it's, a tarantella is a, Italian dance, right? And it has a triplet motive to it, like that. And it has many leaps, and that's it shows the virtuoso elements that that Sensal would would have done. And lots of bravura and dazzles, and it's got a nice ending. And our soloist for this concerto is Daniel Su. He was the uh, bronze medalist at the 2017 Van Cliburn competition. He also won awards for uh, best performance in commission work and chamber music, that same competition. Mm -hmm. He's from uh, the San Francisco area and uh, was a prodigy. I mean, he went to the Curtis Institute of Music at age 10. At 10. 10 years old. And he's played for orchestras all over the world, especially, you know, once you do win uh, Clyburn, that gives you much notoriety and you're asked to go play at all these places sure and he's recorded for a deca gold he's 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 already established obviously but uh we're really pleased to have him come uh, solo with us it's very exciting it yeah. sounds like a really good program yeah and then after that oh by the way there's the connection is that concerto was perform, premiered in paris and we were doing the paris right. symphony before of mozart and then the last work on our program is by Tchaikovsky, and it is nicknamed the Mozartiana. And Tchaikovsky had a huge love of Mozart. And I want to read uh, just a little bit from what he thought about Mozart. This is Tchaikovsky's thoughts. Yes, this is Mozart. this this first 
uh, thing I'm going to read is a letter. Hold on, got to find it. Yeah, is a letter to his benefactor. Her name, uh, last name was Mech. And he said to her, Why do you not care for Mozart? In this respect, our opinions differ, friend. I not only like Mozart, I adore and idolize him. To me, the most beautiful opera ever written is Don Juan. We call it Don Giovanni, same, same person. Right. Then he says, my uh, contemporaries uh, grew up with the spirit of modern music from their childhood and came to know Mozart later in their later years. After they had made acquaintances with Chopin, who reflects so clearly despair and disillusionment. Uh, cut. After they had made acquaintance with Chopin, who reflects so cl- clearly despair. Fortunately, fate decreed that I should grow up, that's Tchaikovsky, in an unmusical family, so that in childhood I was not nourished on the poisonous food of post-Beethoven music. (laughs) (laughs) The same kind of fate brought me into contact with Mozart and thus opened up to me unsuspected horizons. These early impressions never can be effaced. Do you know that when I hear Mozart, I feel brighter and younger, almost a youth again? That's quite an endorsement of uh, of Mozart. From one great composer yes. to a great composer, about yes. a great composer. And so this is uh, called Suite Number 4, and which means he wrote three previous ones. Right. And the three previous ones had all original music. And this is an original in a way, but not totally. He uh, took compositions of Mozart and kind of made it his own. He took themes that Mozart had composed and made made an orchestra suite out of it. And this would be different than an arrangement, rearranging it. He took themes from Mozart and made... And used those themes and, and then composed himself. Yes. Um, one more quote from Tchaikovsky. I think it's important for everybody to know. On uh, the printed score that I'll, I'll conduct, conduct off of, Tchaikovsky put these words. For some incomprehensible reason, several excellent compositions by Mozart are little known, not only to the general public, but to many musicians. The arranger of this suite, that is Tchaikovsky, which is entitled Mozartiana, hoped to give a fresh impulse to the playing of these little masterpieces, though simple and they are full of incomparable beauties. So these are not real well-known common works that even today's listeners may know as like um, uh, the the great symphonies or the great operas of Mozart. But he found these small little pieces that uh, are just as valuable, just as great as these other compositions. So would you say that this is is in, in some way a tribute for Tchaikovsky to Mozart. That's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. And it's in uh, four movements. And the um, four movements are as follows. The first movement is called a jig. It's a type of dance. And it's from, the, the melody comes from a collection of 12 piano pieces that was written by Mozart. One of the pieces has this jig in it. And it's very, very merry, very bright, nice 
short, very short, just two minutes, two and a half minutes or so. And the uh, second movement is also brief, just a couple minutes. It is a minuet. It's from that same collection. I guess this piano collection really hit Tchaikovsky hard because he also uses a piece from that collection. Um, what's interesting about both of these first two movements is how modern the harmony sounds. And what I mean by that, we wouldn't consider it modern now, but it sounds very much like almost Tchaikovsky would write himself. Maybe that's why he liked these pieces and was influenced. Right. Uh, the harmonies of Mozart's time were structured in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But what was great about Mozart is he expanded that. He went beyond that. It must have sounded odd to the audience at the time when he played those piano pieces. Progressive, would you yes. say? Yes. Oh, progressive, for sure. And ahead of his time, way ahead of his time, maybe up until like Tchaikovsky's time, how this, the harmonies were used. So it just fit Tchaikovsky so well when he could come add to these, orchestrate these pieces right. and transcribe them. The third movement is uh, literally called prayer. It's a prayer. And it's uh, taken from a transcription of a piano piece by, oh, it's a transcription for piano of a piece by Mozart called uh, Ave Verum Corpus. And it is a transcription that Franz Liszt, the famous pianist, made. So you have many composers at work here. Mozart composed. Liszt liked it so much he made it for piano. Right. Tchaikovsky likes it so much that he took Liszt piano and made it for orchestra. That's what composers do. And uh, very serene, very beautiful. This movement adds a harp to it. Um, and it would it, just like you would think what a prayer might be like. It's very, very heavenly. The, and the last movement is a theme in variations. And it is by far the longest movement. Of, of the uh, of this composition, almost fifteen minutes or so, uh, is just this last movement. The other three, maybe ten ish combined, and it is um, what I consider the for this whole concert shows off the orchestra the most. Uh, how it goes back and forth, and how Tchaikovsky uses these themes, and uh, how the uh, Players play against each other, and the, there are some huge, huge solos in this theme and variations. Predominantly, one for our concert master with Elizabeth Atkins, and another uh, has a huge solo clarinet cadenza, which our principal clarinetist Kwang Hoon Lee will mm -hmm. uh, perform. And it comes to a huge close and uh, upward scale in G major, just like our concert opens, upward scale in D major. And uh, I, I can't think of a better way to end our season. Sounds like a great, uh, great program. Very excited yeah. to, to hear it and listen to it and listen to you conduct the orchestra. Laurie, is it too early to start talking about next year's season? Because I think we're really all excited to hear about it. Well, thank you. It is. We've reached the most exciting part in the symphony's year, which is we're preparing for our season finale concert and we have just finished signing all of our guest artists for the season ahead. Really? And this year is particularly notable because it will be the 60th anniversary of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. 
So hard to believe that that much time has gone by. And we have some very exciting things planned to celebrate the 60th anniversary. So everyone can stay tuned for details on those events. So Maestro, do you want to tell us about the repertoire for the upcoming season then? Absolutely. Our opening concert, uh, since it is the 60th anniversary, Laurie and I were thinking, what could we do to celebrate right off the bat? And so we have asked for a commission. And we've asked, her name is Kirsten Broberg, wonderful composer, to write a work that we're going to open the season with. And she has had works uh, performed by orchestras in uh, Minneapolis and Chicago and, and throughout the world. And uh, she's a colleague of mine also at the University of North Texas. I think she's a brilliant composer. And uh, her, her style, if I could even try to put it in words, ranges from cinematic to spectral and just very expressive, very lyrical. Uh, our audience will enjoy listening. I mean, it's very good on the ears and she'll, they'll, they'll all appreciate it. So as part of the celebration for the 60th anniversary of the, of the RSO, we're having a commissioned composition that you will conduct and will be performed. That's yes, a, a living, fairly big deal. A living Absolutely. composer, a yeah. living composer. And that's going to be fun for the orchestra because, uh, Kirsten, of course, will attend rehearsals. Sure. And when you don't have a composer around or they're no longer alive, you go based on your best judgment on the intention of the composer. I meant this, but she can. But when she's there, I can turn around and say, this is what I think you're thinking. Is this what you're thinking? <laughs> right. And she can say yes or no. Or, or sometimes composers will say no, but I like that more. Right. That's always a compliment, too. So that's fun. Very exciting. So we're yeah. looking forward to that. And uh, I also am glad we're commissioning it because we'll have questions like that before we even get to rehearsals. She'll be composing. So she'll say, what do you think of this? Or this is what I'm thinking. And, and uh, that's the collaboration starts from way before the first rehearsal. Right. Also on that program is a, uh, Brahms Symphony Number no. 3. And Brahms wrote four symphonies. This is the third. It's the most compact. It's the shortest of the four symphonies, but he puts m as much info in that work as all the other ones, but it's compacted because it's a little bit shorter. We look forward to that. And we'll close that program with the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto in D major with our soloist, William Hagen. Um, the next concert is in November. That is a concert of Mozart and Richard Strauss. Uh, I really like it when we can show off our musicians in the orchestra. So I have asked our principal clarinetist, Kwang uh, Hoon Yi, to perform Mozart's clarinet concerto in A major. It's a work that basically on every audition, the clarinetists have to play this concerto and along with excerpts and other things. Uh, but rarely did they get to go perform it with an orchestra. And he is such a fine musician that I, 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 Said, would you like to do this? I'd really like for you to. And he said, sure, I, it's his pleasure. And it's a beautiful, uh, very serene, wonderful work of Mozart, very mature work. Uh, uh, Mozart's always mature, but even for Mozart, this is a mature work sure. of his. And then the Strauss is uh, a work that 
we were going to perform this season, didn't get the chance to do it. And I love this work so much that, you know, when you're the conductor, you pick right. the pieces. You Sometimes the you're just going to say, we're going to do it. This, in this case, we're going to do it again. Even, I guess, in the sense that we didn't get to do it last time. Maestro has spoken. Uh, it's by Richard Strauss, Le Bourgeois Gentle Home. And it's um, a suite by, that Strauss wrote. It's just a masterpiece, in my opinion. Uh, it's about with Gentle Home. It's the would-be gentleman. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more when we get right. to the podcast for that concert. You bet. Just, just everybody know it's a great work. We have our Holiday Classics concert in December, and we're really looking forward to working with the Richardson Community Chorale for that concert. And then in February, we have a special Pops concert. It's called A Texas Tribute. And I'd like Laurie to talk just a little bit about it. Sure. This is going to be a really exciting collaboration with the team from Texas Country Reporter because they are celebrating their 50th anniversary of their um, television program. Yeah. So they're celebrating and they're working with symphonies all over the state of Texas in collaborations. So we're going to be part of that program and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Bob and Kelly Phillips will be there and they'll be, yeah. And they'll be narrating portions of the program. Bob Phillips, who is the host of Texas Country Reporter. Right, right. So Bob and Kelly will be um, on stage narrating the various pieces, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Very much Texas-themed. There's be uh, tunes particular to our state and uh, some other Americana-themed uh, music as well. And there will be some visual accompaniments as well. So it's going to be a great evening. We're it's going really... to sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, so they're celebrating 50 and we're celebrating 60. 60. Yeah. And our next concert in March is entitled Stars of the Future. And it will uh, feature a, a winner from the Anne and Charles Eisman International Young Artist Competition. And we alternate year by year with a string instrument and a piano. And this next season will be a string instrument. So there will be a, a concerto for a string instrument. And we will also perform Antonin Dvorak's Symphony Number no. 8 in G major. Wonderful work. Uh, sounds like where he was from. Sounds very bohemian. And our season finale concert will feature John Nakamatsu. He's a pianist who won the 1997 Van Cliburn International Piano Competition, the gold medalist. He is a great guy. He uh, actually, this past uh, season, was one of our judges for the Eisman competition. And um, just a wonderful person. It's a rare thing to to have an artist of his caliber, but also a great human of his caliber too. So I'm glad he's going to perform and he's going to perform uh, the Rachmaninoff second piano concerto, one of the most famous works in all of the repertoire. That's a great work. Uh, when it comes to mind for me, uh, I've, I just remember performing it as a cellist in the orchestra, went very young. And it's just one of those pieces I knew I always wanted to conduct back then. Right. And so every time I do it now, it just, it just brings back certain memories and a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be another one once he gets to come and 
uh, perform with It's us. always an audience favorite. Yes. And also on that program is Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade. And that's a real wonderful orchestral work that tells, uh, tells the tales, T-A-L-E-S, of the Arabian Nights. Her name, of course, was Scheherazade, and she uh, had to eventually give a thousand and one stories to stay alive. Right. So a few of those are in this piece. It's going to be an exciting season, and I'm just so excited to hear what Kirsten has in store. Well, that starts the whole season. Yeah. We're here with Daniel Shu, uh, our guest artist, uh, for our upcoming concert on April 17th. Thank you for being here with us today, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So, uh, Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and where you're coming from. And Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Daniel. I play the piano. I, um, I started, I grew up in California in, in, in a sort of a musical family. Uh, my, my parents, although they didn't really play, they really loved music. And um, both of my older siblings played piano. So I kind of like picked it up. And I started, I started piano, I think when I was six. And um, when I was 10, I auditioned for the Curtis Institute of Music, um, which is a, a very uh, prestigious music school in Philadelphia. And I got in somehow, you know, I don't know how. Still think about that one sometimes. But yeah, <laughs> I, I studied there for the next, you know, 11 years, 10, 11 years. I studied there for, for you know, at one point, more than half of my life, sure. um, something like that. And um, in 2017, I competed in the Van Cliburn International Piano Competition, and I was very um, fortunate to have, have won the bronze medal. And um, it's been a crazy ride ever since. And I've just, I've just loved being able to to play and share, share a little bit of my music and something to say with, with a lot of different people. So this is not your first trip to Texas. What was it like performing in the Van Cliburn competition? Yeah, this is not my first trip to Texas. I am in, I feel like Texas is my second home, which I'm very happy about. I think if I could pick, if I could pick any place, Texas is the, the perfect place. Um, you know, performing in the Van Cliburn was very scary just because, you know, I, I had grown up watching like, a lot of the, they, they put out a documentary or they used to put out a documentary. I think they still do of all the competitions. And I had watched those growing up. And, um, when I actually got to play in it, it was like, wow, like this is sort of like a weird manifesting thing or, a you know, like something that you watch in your childhood happens in your real life and that, that sort of thing. Um, but you know, every, like the, the audience and the people were just so excited and, warm and like really really kind and so i think they made it really comfortable as comfortable as it could be competing in a competition and playing but um yeah I, i'll never forget walking out on on bass in bass performance hall for the first time and like playing the first piece and opening it, it was very scary but you know i i remember those memories now very very fondly that had to have been intimidating Is that yeah I think intimidating is a great word. Just, you know, knowing the jury and all the incredible pianists and artists on the jury and and being on the stage and the reputation, just all of it coming together 
And also you spend yeah. a lot of time preparing, right? Like right. Uh, you spend, you look forward, you're like working towards that moment when you're in it, you're like, wow, you know? So I don't know. It, it was pretty incredible, a little scary, but incredible, I think. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about what you particularly enjoy about the Sansan's Piano Concerto? Yeah. Um, it's a piece I had visited when I was very, I first initially learned it when I was very, very young. Like I'm talking like little squat kid doesn't understand anything. And it's definitely a piece that when I revisited it, you know, revealed so much of its color and character to me. Um, I find that with a lot of pieces, not just the same song, but like it's, it's um, that's, that's one of the things I love most about music is, you know, every time you revisit something, you think you got all of it, but you never really do. You know, there's always something. Um, I love how incredibly expressive and dramatic the sing song is. I think there's incredible, um, there's like an endless possibility of color and in the work. So that's something that I really personally love exploring. Um, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of an issue because when I, when I play it, I like to try different things or try new things. Eventually I'm going to have to decide on one for this weekend, you know, like I'm going to have to be like, okay, I think I want a general thing like this, but it's so much fun to, there's, there's so much possibility and, um, it's also just really exciting and flashy. And I think that, I think it's really enjoyable for audience members to listen to and sort of comprehend and digest. So, um, it's always, it's, it's, it's great to, to play it. It's a lot of fun. We're very excited to, to hear your performance. Daniel, do you have anything that you would like to share? Anything in particular, any thoughts that you might have? You know, it's been kind of a wild year for everybody, and it's been a very unexpected year and a, and a, and a, and a big turn of events. And I think in a way it's affected me in a very, very different and kind of a strange way where I got to, you know, sit down and rebuild some of my relationship to the piano, or I don't know if rebuild's the right word, rebuild kind of has maybe the wrong connotation, but sort of um, revisit or rekindle like this relationship that I had right. with the piano. And sure. obviously I was not performing for a year and I was stuck at home and, you know, maybe there were some days I just decided forget the piano. I'm not playing anything. I'm just going to sleep or watch TV the whole day. But also I spent a lot of time and many, many days exploring pieces and repertoire and characters and colors and things about the piano that, you know, I never had the time for, I never had the imagination for, I never, you know, just, it, it's been like a really, really different year for me than usual. Um, it's been a really exploratory year. And I right. think overall an extremely positive year. So coming back to the stage, um, I, this is my like first orchestral performance in, in, in probably a, in a little more than a year now. Wow. Um, and my second concert since, since, since everything shut down, um, you know, uh, I, I couldn't be more excited to, to, you know, get back on stage and share music and sort of remind people or remind myself even what, what, what life was like before all of this and, and how, how great, how beautiful life is, you know, with, with the music and, and, and going out and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I'm very, very excited is what I'm trying to say. I don't know if I got that across, but I hope I no, did. I I absolutely. I would you characterize it as a year of not discovery, but a year of rediscovery? Yes, absolutely. I love that. It's been absolutely a year of rediscovery. You know, being on the road 
playing concerts, you know, can be, can be taxing and can be, you know, draining and sort of like this recharging period and this exploratory rediscovery period, whatever you want to call it, um, has been, has been so good. And, you know, I hope, I hope it's, you know, obvious in, in, in a sort of positive way when, when I play, but uh, I'm just, I'm just so excited to be back and, and to be playing it. So. Well, we are excited to welcome you back to Texas. Thank and you. Daniel Shu, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thank you and for having we me. all look forward uh, to your performance um, this coming Saturday. Thank you. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, Humanities of Texas, the Ray Charitable Trust, and Frost Bank. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at eismancenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Cattorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.